little leaguey pop to get us going with um, a lot of B-roll from Train Spotting because that song actually opens that movie. Uh, Train Spotting, great movie. Some very difficult scenes to watch, but it's kind of what makes a great movie. Not all great movies go down smooth, right? Um, very realistic portrayal of heroin addiction back in the good old days in Glasgow. Anyway, good morning to everybody. If you're over on the BoxCast side, let me jump on over there and uh, hang out with you for a little bit. You know, I forgot to play Tom's song. So I got to play Tom's song. Tom, you need song. You need song, Tom. Let me just find it. All right. I found the perfect song for Tom for his birthday. Now, you have to keep in mind, let me reload this. You have to keep in mind that Tom is a Capricorn. So I looked far and wide for an appropriate Capricorn birthday song. And there are a few. And I think this one gets about as close to the spirit as possible. So this goes out to our good friend Tom, who is still in the throes of celebrating his birthday. 
Here we go. And a one. And a two. And a three. There you go, Tom. A great goat birthday to you. All right. Let me get back to BoxCast. Let's see. Who else? Who's going? What's going on here? I should be able to moderate this chat. Let me get in. Let me get in here. All right. There we go. Let's see. Who do we have today? Back. He's back. DJMC. We got the aforementioned Mr. Goat himself, TJ. Door to door is here. Uh, we, got, we got a Cremo sighting. Hey, what's going on, Christine? Good to see you. Anonymous. C.C. Jones, fantastic Captain Kramer, another Capricorn. We got heavy Capricorn action today. Uh, Lisa W's here. J.J., what's happening, J.J.? Uh, Past Lives Matter making an appearance. Magna Carta, Jennifer Anderson sure is age. That's pretty funny. Uh, let's see. Who else? We got Hucklebuck, 411. What's up, Huck? Angie K. Hi, Angie K. Esperanza Vinza. Good to see you here. Janet Landers, she's back. Beaming in from McKinney. Kelly B's here. I like Capricorns. I've always had good relationships with Capricorns. I have good relationships with all signs, mostly. Uh, let's see. And Leela, another goat in the house, in the pen. It's Tom's birthday. It was yesterday. You got a scrubby sighting? Chicken in. Uh, let's see. I'm starting to warm up to all you cappies. You're good people. Capricorns... Uh, Capricorns are, are warmer and more emotional than at times their imposing and rather austere nature of reflex. My experience. Janine's here. Hi, Janine. Good to see you again. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have here? The the the. Capricorn is in Mars and Lilith. Well, I like Mars and Capricorn, as I mentioned earlier. It's a good position for Mars. Caps are shark business people. They're not, they're not to be trampled with. They, they almost always come out on top in a negotiation. 
I can't imagine being another sign. I can. <laughs> then again, I've got a good imagination. All right. It's good to have you here. Uh, we're, we're, we're working our way back. We're working our way back to the website and then multicasting. We're going big. We're going big or we're going home. That's it. That's the theme for 2024. Go big or go home. There's no fucking around anymore. Isn't that right, Jasper? He's right here. The astrological cat. Right there, sleeping through most of the shows. But that's okay. Your presence is here. That's, that's what matters. Right? You look like an old cat today. You look like an old cat. Is Peachy wearing you out? Peachy's such a trip. I'm so glad that she popped into our lives. So how is everybody? We're, we're, uh, we're off to a rip-roaring start here in 2024, and we're still anxiously waiting on pins and needles for the Epstein list. I mean, you know, I talked about this yesterday. We've, we've known about these people for a long time. The Black Book, to me, is more intriguing than the fucking list. Right, like there's way more uh, intrigue in the Black Book. You know, you've got people on there like Brian Ferry, Simon LeBon, like they're on they're on the list in his you know, like serious. Who else? I think Bill Gates is Bill Gates's name in there. I think Bill Gates's name is in there too. Right, that was the Black Book. And like, you know, places for massage parlors and shit like that. Um, we haven't looked at that in a long time. Maybe we'll revisit it, maybe not. But they still are just, you know, dragging this thing out. Somebody has suggested that there was an explosion in New York. I don't know if you guys saw this, but there was an explosion in New York that um, was supposed to be like, I don't know, a false flag thing in an attempt to derail people from the, like really how much is the Epstein list going to make a difference? Are, are careers going to be ended over the Epstein list? Are marriages going to be ended over the Epstein list? What is going to be some of the fallout from the list? I mean, it is taken way too long. Apparently, I was doing some background on it, and apparently they went to each and every person whose name was on the list and asked them if they had a problem with their name being published. This is what, um, I think it's the lawyer for Virginia Roberts or Virginia Jeffrey. Uh, this is the person who's um, brought the list forward. They all said, no, um, you know, I, we're okay with being on the list. So either they're incredibly self-confident uh, and that nothing, they know nothing will happen, or they're just naive. Um, and I think it's probably somewhere between the two. But I think in, in many ways it will be very 
uh, anticlimactic. And I think people are going to be on Twitter. I'm going to spend some time on Twitter today. I, I haven't spent a lot of time on Twitter since the move, really, because I've just been a blur. I've been a blur. I've been a man in motion. And I'm still getting used to the move, right? But the good thing, like I mentioned today on the uh, on the Astro Weather, is the gym is close enough for me to get out of my fucking bed, get in the car, and go drive to it. And I feel like a better human being for it, right? So that's that's a, that's a that's a good uh, that's a good change. That's a, that's a solid change. It is another part of my New Year's resolution. I am doing my best to go to bed earlier. So I can get up earlier and go to the gym. See, now I don't have to worry about going to the gym today. It's not nagging in the back of my brain. Like, you better go to the gym. Hey, motherfucker, I already went to the gym. Shut the fuck up. Mr. Voice and Head. Um, so, yeah, here we go. 2024. If you're a member, I, you, you, you know, if you are a member you'll be able to come into the webinar on Saturday where I'm going to go over 2024 with a fine tooth comb with some predictions. I got some predictions for 2024 and predictions are getting harder to in some ways nail down. So you have to be really on the ball with predictive stuff. So I'll throw a few predictions out there. The gist of today's show is really this idea of a secret war that's going on, right? Like, like, in some ways, it's not so secret. But in other ways, it's like, what is really happening here? They haven't fully closed up the Ukrainian thing. As much as Ukraine has lost its ass, as much as we've lost a shit ton of money by investing in Ukraine, paying people off, laundering money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? All those things hasn't really moved the needle. And for all intents and purposes, um, it, you know, they look dead in the water. But we all knew that that was going to happen. I think what's an interesting question, more than this idea that that uh, you know Ukraine bit off more than they could chew with Russia, which I think we all know that they they did. So how intentional is all of this, right? Like we know on some level it's intentional, but how intentional? Like at at what level? How deep does the intention go? Let's let's talk about Russia for a second. Everybody, everybody, a lot of people in the quote unquote truth community or the patriot community believe that that uh, Putin is a white hat. I don't I don't buy that at all. I mean, I mean all you got to do is look at what happened during COVID, and he was in lockstep with everybody. So yeah, we'll have our own vaccine with the Sinovac, whatever it's called. But they locked down, they masked up, they did everything that the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organization requested them to do. They were not a rebel state. They were not 
uh, Mr. Lukashenko, who thumbed his nose uh, at uh, the rest of the world, right? Belarus was, fuck you. Like, Belarus was more, way more punk rock than Russia was. But ultimately, they wanted to forge an alliance. We know all about that. I don't believe Putin's a white hat. So part of the role here is... I mean, I guess technically there is some skin in the game real estate-wise for the Russians in that eastern part of Ukraine, which speaks... We know the story. I don't have to rehash it. But I think strategically, it suits Russia to keep America engaged in this proxy war for as long as they can. Right? Like, as long as they can. So that America just continues to burn money and send more armaments and wind up essentially, you know, disarming the country, which is really what's happened. As a strategy, if you're Russians and you have a bone to pick with the so-called Americans, that's what you would do, right? Or if they're working together and colluding, that's how this thing would go down. It would go on and on and on. And like all these other campaigns that wind up being unsuccessful, and really just an absolute resource drain, but bodes well for military industrial contractors, right? They, they want this shit to go on forever. They don't really care if a war is resolved. Longer, better, right? More product. And after a certain point, right, there is a lack of ability to recoup on any level with corporation known as the United States, whatever that recoupment is. Saw it in Afghanistan. It's a drain, an absolute drain. And then, uh, you know, once synthetic uh, heroin became available, once Oxycontin became available, they really didn't need the poppy fields anymore. You know? So I think we have to look at Russia's role in this war as a bit more participatory than maybe a lot of other people would like. It's like, okay, Russia's this independent entity, and this is what they want, this is what they're doing, blah, 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 right? But it's in Russia's best interest without completely ransacking their resources that they continue to drain the resources of the United States, right? And so if there are people in the United States in governmental structures of power that want to disempower and tear down the country and bleed the country of its resources, which seems like that's been going on for the last two years, then they would also be in collusion with Russia because that's Russia's goal. They want us to spend as much fucking money and bleed out as possible. And people that are inside certain power structures here, in the name of what democracy or whatever, right? Or keeping Ukraine free, they'll do it. So there seems to be a level of collusion if that is really part of the goal and the strategy, which I believe it is. 
Right. And Russia's more than willing to, to play along with it. You know, let's bleed these fuckers. Economically, Russia has not never done better. Now, uh, you know, they've lost troops. Don't get me wrong. The Russians have lost people. It's not like they haven't incurred any losses with the troops because they have. But if you're playing kind of a long game, you measure up the loss of troops versus the long game or long-term potential of what it does to other entities, right? Other players. And it's a trade-off. This, you know, you make decisions in war. And so there's these trade-offs. Does Russia want this to go on forever? Probably not. But as long as they're in control, which they seem to be, even though they they were ambushed, what, a few days ago, and according to them, it was by the Americans. And let's be clear, the Americans are there. We're there. You know, whether it's through, um, you know, a third party like Xi, formerly Black, um, Blackwater, or whomever, right? Raytheon contractors, maybe the U.S. Army. We're in there. So that's one part of this kind of war scenario. You know, and I've been... I've been watching a lot of videos on YouTube about empire and war. And one of the things that's clear that with any empire, you could I can just go right down the list and start checking boxes. One of the things that is essential for the empire is war. And there are a ton of reasons why it becomes essential for the empire to continue to march towards war. One is that theoretically it is a unifying principle, right? So if we'll use Justinian and the, uh, uh, the Byzantine empire, right? Who wound up having lots of conflicts and they basically reconquered Rome which a lot of people don't understand. Like they went back in and chased the, the Visigoths out of Rome and they, they wound up reconquering. And of course they dealt with the, with Carthage in North Africa. They dealt with the Persians and a lot of their conquests were, were victorious. And when you have theoretically a war, you have an organizing principle that the people are behind it. The nation is behind it. Right. And when there's a victory, there's they really celebrate the fuck out of it, right? Like, oh, we beat those motherfuckers, we won that war, and they have they they would have parades and they would, you know, honor the generals, and it was a big fucking deal, right? So war served a purpose in that if they were victorious, it built morale, and I'm not I'm advocating war as uh, some kind of agency to build morale. But it did. It did. It was a very simple way of getting people on board with the program. Isn't Justinian great? Isn't Theodore great? Isn't it great? Aren't you proud to be a Byzantine? Right? That's kind of how that part of it rolled. The other part is that the person in charge, 
in this case, Justinian, war theoretically strengthened his position, right? Like if he had detractors or, or there was court intrigue, and there's always court intrigue, there's always somebody nipping at the heels of the emperor or somebody's. But if there was a war and the army or the forces were victorious, that would be a, vi a victory for Justinian, right? Which would strengthen his position. And his detractors would have less ammunition to go after him with. So this is one of the reasons why wars were constantly staged in the Bronze Age and the post-Bronze Age era, right? There's more. Of course, there's resources. This is one of the reasons why wars are, have been waged for forever is the, the acquisition of resources. And it's really interesting. The Mongols, who were the best at waging war, were and were were great at plundering resources. Were terrible at maintaining them, right? They were a nomadic people. They had no interest really in building infrastructure and empire. It's they're fascinating. The Mongols are really fascinating, but they're engaged in the same thing, right? There's court intrigue with Genghis Khan, you know, and that extends into his sons. But again, conquering people. Um, is a way to strengthen one's position. This is one of the reasons why war has become has been a major force um, in the world, right? So number one, it builds. If you're victorious, it builds the morale of the people. Number two, if you're a politician, an emperor, a king, right, and you're victorious, it strengthens your position. It makes you less assailable. Number three, there's the acquisition of resources and a, a conquest that goes along with that, right? And number four, and this is, the, the I think, maybe the most important um, reason why wars have been fought. If you're not growing the empire, the empire is dying, right? That's the nature of it, right? If you wind up being stagnant, then there's this idea that entropy sits in. So there has to be a constant sense. It's like a, it's like a corporation. If a corporation isn't growing, right? Then it's not doing its job. You know, th th there's a stagnancy that sets in. So that's another part of this. It's this idea that the the justification. It's not even the justification of the organism. Is that the organism must devour more life in order to sustain itself and stay alive. Now, I'm not saying that I agree with these principles, but these, these are the principles of war and wars that were fought in the Bronze Age and then beyond the Bronze Age, you know, up through even like Napoleon, right? The same deal. The same things were going on with Napoleon. The same tactics. The same, the extension of empire, right? And every victory would strengthen his position. But somewhere along the way, that model flipped. And winning wars wasn't as important anymore. Like you could have the same things accrue, right? Like money could be spent, uh, money could be built, money could be theoretically earned through 
the production of arms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But winning the war wasn't always the end. Like in Vietnam, that stopped. Like winning that war wasn't the end goal. A different kind of mindset had crept into this idea of war. And that wars could be both profitable and, well, not both, but a war could be profitable even in defeat, right? Even in defeat. And those defeats, if they happened under the right circumstances, would be beneficial to the opponents or the foes of the people who were fighting those wars. So for instance, we'll use Vietnam again, which was a, you know, a terrible war, demoralizing war. That was a defeat for the United States. That was a win for China. That was a win for the Soviet Union. Like they won that war, right? And by doing that, there were people inside of this government and this system who were a part of those systems, who were more than willing to embrace defeat. So a defeat for them was a win for them because ultimately they were siding with those two other entities and the destruction of this system, which really brings us to this point in time today. And in every war that we have fought since then, even ones that theoretically we win, like, like beating Iraq is a Pyrrhic victory. Right. It's just, you know, the Iraq thing is there for resources. The, the Iraq thing is there for the neocons. And they understand this idea that you need war to extend empire. That's exactly what they were doing. Right? They just forgot to tell the rest of us. Right. And they'll make up stupid ass excuses. Like guys with box cutters in caves. For Afghanistan, or you know, the lies that they told us with Saddam Hussein and the weapons of mass destruction. They're just they're just not honest. Right? The, the the honest part of it would be sorry, we need the resources. Uh, and that's just the way it is. And they just have to sell people a pile of bullshit create the boogeyman in their brain, wave some flags. They can't do that anymore, by the way. Wave some flags and, you know, let's go. Let's go get them. Those wars were much closer to the older wars that I'm talking about, right, where they were fought specifically because they could vanquish a foe, they could take the resources. And again, theoretically, Right, theoretically, during that time, that there would be a win and then morale would be built. But because those wars were so hollow and the excuses were so lame and thin, that when, you know, whoever that guy was, that was Saddam Hussein, nobody really felt a catharsis. Right? Like, no, I, I, nobody really felt a catharsis. Nobody sat around and said, you know, had a ticker tape parade. And, you know, and, and we celebrated the 
the man who pulled him out of the rat hole, right? Or whatever the fuck happened with the Osama bin Laden raid, right? And I and I remember, you know, there was people were celebrating. There was some kind of joy or whatever, but it just felt so empty and plastic and fake because it was. It was totally fake, right? But they have to give people these bones every now and then so they, they, they can feel like there was a victory and it could, you know, sort of build public morale. We finally got him. It didn't matter that theoretically you dumped his ashes over the ocean and, you know, a lot of unanswered questions about the whole thing. Just go with it. We got him. Just go with it. Saddam Hussein, well, we got him. Just go with it. Like those are the moments where theoretically you're the, the country's supposed to come together and say, yeah, this shit happened. We took action and we we won. We beat back the forces of evil. But it didn't work. It doesn't work. Because the forces of evil have very different faces than the ones that they claim to have captured, subjugated, tried, executed, right? So they're Pyrrhic victories. They're hollow. They're empty. But that's why those wars were started. That's why the neocons ran those wars. That's built off the same model of the wars that Justinian got involved with. Right? George Bush, what was he going to do? What, what was he going to do as a president? He's going to become a war president. And war presidents tend to be popular presidents for the most part. Right? And if you look back on his legacy, his legacy is shrouded. It's dwarfed in comparison to what Trump never did. Right? Like Trump's legacy is, is way more like caustic and sulfuric and hellish than George Bush, who did crimes that were far worse than anything Trump even got remotely close to, right? So this whole thing with war is just, I, I've been studying it, right? I've been watching these wars because I'm trying to get a handle on what's going on now right, and what's happening in the Middle East. And again, you know, we're, they can't make a good case for war. You know, I'll tell you what you can make a good case for war with. Let's say a country was brutalizing their people, absolutely brutalizing their people, to the point where it was genocidal, Right. And usually when you see something like that, it is a righteous and just cause to get involved. Because theoretically, right, we as a country do not stand for that kind of injustice or brutality or um, just uh, flat out uh, genocidal mania. That's when, you know, in the past, we've answered that call, right? That's usually a sign where, hey, you know, but if it has to be real, though, right? It has to be real. It can't be made up. It can't be fake. It can't be phony. 
like when they accused Assad of using chemical weapons on his people. Didn't do it. Did the same thing with Saddam Hussein. You know, all the things that you know we act we attributed to those boogeymen. They didn't do. And if they did, it was, you know, circumstances that were way more complicated or complex than just, you know, a 48-character headline. But if there was a situation that was truly like that, then you have a justification for maybe getting involved and then being a force for good in the world, right? I'm just saying, if there was a, if there was a reason why Right, that would be one reason why, if that was a true reason, and the people were being wiped off the face of their country. But the problem is now is that there's there's no real barometer for right and wrong and good and evil. It's been so convoluted, and even if we know it internally with our own internal compass, and we speak. To the truth, right? The 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 mainstream uh, dialectic or dogma could be completely contrary to that, and you get shouted down as a result. Of, I, I I remember back when the whole war with uh, Afghanistan and Iraq was really starting to take, especially Afghanistan. I was I was appalled. And I would call into talk shows and I would basically say, hey, look, this 9-11 thing stinks. And it's it's not what they're telling you. And people were so incensed over the fact that this event happened and uh, that they had their boogeymen, right? They had their scapegoats. And all they wanted to do was even the score. That was it. They didn't want to hear anything else. You get tossed off the air if you if you brought up different scenarios, right? That's how they justified it. And that all happened during Bush. He was a wartime president, and his legacy is horrible. But that's what the neocons do. The neocons stage wars. They stage wars because they want to continue to theoretically create this idea of empire. But the only difference is, is that they think it's their empire, not the ones that they're um, serving, right? So we have a different agenda and a different idea of what empire is. So what's going on now? Oh, it, it looks to me like they have taken a bit of a lull in leveling Gaza, although we know that's exactly what they want to do they want to just level the whole thing right and they will use any form of justification which they already have to do that and they and they can take a break now because they've so damaged and destroyed the infrastructure that it's mostly unlivable so where are people going to go how are they going to rebuild build. And I don't see anybody from the West running in there with aid, right? Like a lot of times you'll see, you'll see shit like that. Hey, let's rebuild Gaza better than ever. Let's rebuild it. And let's make sure that 
you know, it's going to be a safe and secure city. And, you know, let's, let's invest in biometrics and we'll make sure that the people that are there are who they say they are. Right. Like nobody's ever, except maybe Elon Musk. I don't know what the fuck he was doing there, but you don't hear that. There's no build back better for Gaza. That's not happening. So they've had a bit of a lull, right? A bit of a lull in that part, but they're doing other shit. So I posted the, I didn't really post it, but there's a, the, the thumbnail for today's show is that uh, the Israelis went into Southern Lebanon and they, they hit a fucking command center where they had, uh, Hezbollah was hanging out in southern Lebanon. And they, they knocked out, I think, three commanders, right? Three key people that are engaged in you know, strategic defense, warfare, whatever, right? Like, that's a fucking act of war. That is an act of war. And it has nothing to do with Hamas and whatever happened on October 7th, right? That was a proactive strike. And then right on the heels of that, right on the heels of that, they um, fired some missiles into the graveyard where General Soleimani is buried. Okay, so now you have two major acts of war that the Israelis just indulged in. And if if you're if you're has so they're baiting them, right? They're baiting them into this war. And if and if you're the Lebanese and Hezbollah, you're like, okay, this this cannot stand. Right. And the whole Soleimani thing and blowing up his graveyard. It's like we're not even gonna let him rest in his death. And by the way, that guy was totally set up and he was actually v- very successful at guess what? Dealing with fucking ISIS. And they didn't like that. Why? Because ISIS was a creation. Creation of the US government, Israel, and Turkey. Those three entities and little MI6, they created ISIS. ISIS, ISIL, whatever, you know. Daesh, whatever fucking name they went by, they created them, right? Like ISIS never went after Israel. It wasn't that kind of an odd thing that they never went after Israel. Like, you know, all these so-called boogeymen in the Middle East and ISIS never once, never once made a threatening statement or a threatening move towards Israel, right? So it was a creation. And what was Soleimani and these other guys doing? They were handling ISIS, right? They were they knew who they were and who they were working for. They were destabilizing the area, you know. And they were going after Assad, and they were going they were going to go after any group in in that area to destabilize it, right? And they didn't want it destabilized. So Soleimani was one of these characters who was, you know, this idea that we were at war with ISIS was fucking ridiculous. 
How could we be at war with something that we created? That was that that I mean, that's insanity, right? I think it changed a little bit when Trump became president. Because the whole ISIS thing really, it kind of starts a little bit uh, towards the end of Bush, but it really takes off under Obama. And then Trump gets in and all of a sudden ISIS gets defeated, right? Well, why is that? Well, it's because the, the people that were creating it, backing it, funding it were no longer there. And they didn't have logistical support or any of the other shit. So a guy like Soleimani could come in and start picking them off. And that's what he was. It was not in their best interest to have this, this artificial group go in and start to create disturbance in that area. And then what did they do? They set up Soleimani. It was supposed, I mean, this is something that happened on Trump's watch that I am not entirely proud of. Right, it was it was it was supposed to be some kind of a meeting, right? And he, Soleimani, went to this meeting kind of, you know, unaware that they were going to kill him. Like, yeah, come to the meeting. Yeah, you get to meet with these people and with the settle these terms, and it'll all be good. And they just took advantage of it in an unguarded moment. And Trump was proud of it, right? He was proud of this guy. And in actuality, he was kind of a hero. And in actuality, he was defeating the forces that we had created. Although the public doesn't understand that. The public just saw ISIS as, well, it's got to be connected to Osama bin Laden somehow. It's just another group of people that just hates us because we're free. Not really. Not really. That was it was a back state militia, right? And they didn't like that. They didn't like that this guy fucked up their plan. And they didn't like that he was a brain trust because he is smart. He was a smart tactician. And if you're going to wage war, what do you what do you want to do? You want to eliminate the brain trust. So we could even go back to the death of Soleimani with this idea that they would have a much long, longer ranging plan to wage a war against a group of people that, see, here's the thing too, when you study war, countries that fight a lot of war are good at it. They're good at it. They, their troops understand how to attack, they understand chain of command, right? They figure out strategy. So those people had been at war, right? So they're, they're practiced. And then, but you take them out and then you you have to have new people come in and they haven't really, you know, gotten their feet with. The Houthis have been at war for, what, well over a decade against the Saudis. Like they are war ready. And they have no fear whatsoever. They're a problem. The Houthis are a problem in the region. And they're a real problem. When I say real problem, not like, oh, they're a real problem for everybody. No, they're a real problem, meaning they're not AstroTurf. 
right? They're they're they basically took over the country, right? From a corrupt government, they run they run Yemen now, and they they, they beat the Saudis so bad that the Saudis had to create a peace treaty with them. That's how tough those people are. And they don't give a shit, right? And they are within, like, their, they're, they're within their rights to patrol, what is it, 45 miles or whatever, whatever, whatever the, the, the intercoat, the, uh, the maritime law states, right? They're, so they're a problem. And I don't think the Israelis want anything to do with them. And the United States doesn't want to get involved in a war with Yemen. That would be a real war, by the way. That would not be some fake-ass war, you know, or some proxy war, or some war that we'd have to go fight for some corporation or some other country, right? That would be a real war. So to me, Yemen is really an X factor in that region. And nobody's going to tell them what to do. And they're fairly self-sufficient, right? Like, if you, if you wanted to, you, I'm sure you could, um, you know, make sure that they don't get any trade, right? You know, you, you, you can put all kinds of um, strictures. Are you coming up here? They'd, they'd be fine, right? They'd be fine. They've got oil. They've got petroleum. They can make deals with the Chinese and the Russians. They'd be fine. So they're they're a problem in the region because they don't have any fear, right? They have no fear. And talk about a moral victory. You think they sat around and when they beat the pants off the Saudis and the Saudis had to sign that, that peace treaty that the Saudis brought to them, by the way. They didn't bring the peace treaty to the Saudis. You think that they just sat around and had a little tea? Fuck no. They were partying, right? Those guys were celebrating. Guns in the air, firing. We beat those motherfuckers, right? That builds morale. That that helps in a weird way. It builds a healthy immunity, right? It's like they got healthy, because they beat back those evil bastards that wanted their resources. That's really what it was about. So this is kind of, you know, again, you know, we're, we're, this thing is developing and we're just trying to track it because it, it may have calmed down theoretically, or they may have stopped the absolute brutalization of Gaza. And it's been brutal. Right. There's no there's no two ways about it. It's been brutal. Um, but they haven't stopped. Right. For the Israelis. What they've done in Gaza is a victory for them. Because they were able to do what they wanted to do. And even though they have suffered some. They've suffered some uh, tarnishing or loss to their so-called reputation. They could give a shit. They don't care, right? They don't care if people view them in any way, shape, or form, 
They, they really don't care. So if they're being accused of claims of barbarity and uh, fascism and genocide, they don't give a shit, right? And nobody has come in really except for some admonitions in the press, maybe the UN, whatever. Nobody's come in and really slapped their hands in Gaza and said, you can't do that. There's, I mean, the, the, even the, the UN is like completely impotent, right? They, they can make some kind of, I don't know, public statement, but the United States will veto everything. So they've done what they've done and gotten away with it, scot-free. So now it's like, well, what else can we fucking get away with? What, what, what else can we push the envelope with? And now that we've got parts of the U.S. fleet in the region, well, maybe if something happened, we, uh, we might be able to have some, some muscle and some backup. So this thing is far from over, right? And when you see what happened, it, that's an act of war. What they've done in southern Lebanon is an act of war. And this whole desecration of Soleimani's grave is maybe even worse than an act of war. Right? It's like you can't even let the guy rest in death. And he, he died in, in a really treacherous way. Right? That's not how... I don't want to be naive, right? But that's not how you defeat or kill a man. It's just not honorable. It's just not, you know, it's like, oh yeah, come on over. Come on over. We got a nice little meeting, get all set up. We'll have some falafel, some tzatziki. It'll be great. And then boom, right? You get him as he's coming off the fucking plane. That's just not honorable. Anyway, this war thing's not going away. And it's escalating. When you see that, it's escalating. And to what end they want to they want to escalate this thing? I mean, ultimately, it's to draw the United States into a war. That's, I think, the end game. And they they want to commit troops to a war. So if they're fighting on a number of fronts, let's say they're fighting on the Lebanese front, let's say they're fighting on the Yemeni front. Um, now you have some kind of revolutionary forces stirring up in Iraq again, right? Because the United States and the international community has done a piss poor job of rebuilding Iraq because they really have. Now you have more tension in the area. Way more tension, uh, tension in the area. Anyway, I don't think it's good. And I just don't know who has the cojones to, you know, call Israel out at a high level. Even somebody like Vivek won't do it. We know Trump won't do it. Trump, I mean, Trump may secretly hate Netanyahu behind the scenes. But he won't do it. So there's all this enabling going on, and they'll, they'll, and the Israelis will just take the enabling as far as they can go. Somebody at some point is going to slap them back pretty hard. 
right? Because the last time they went into Lebanon, 2016, they got their asses kicked really badly. Um, and the media won't they won't tell you a lot about it, but you you look into what they did in 2016. They thought it was going to be a cakewalk, and they got their asses handed to them. So they learn from that, right? And they don't they don't want to suffer that kind of defeat again. But who's going to speak out against it? Scott Ritter will, but you know Scott Ritter doesn't have any any position or power. And then now we have this weird dynamic going on, where if you do speak out about about it, now all of a sudden you're a leftist. Now all of a sudden you're you're in with the squad, right? Now all of a sudden you're um, you're backing Christine Gay, you know the the, uh, the president of Harvard who had to step down. And not because she plagiarized her shit. That happens all the time. No. It's because they backed her into her corner and she could not condemn what was happening because she believes that students should be able to express themselves freely. And she was ultimately threatened by all these donors pulling out their money all these alumni, and you add it up, it's probably pretty substantial. You know, some, I don't know, I'm just guessing, 150, 200 million dollars a year. And that, that might be conservative based on the alumni from Harvard. But they pulled that money out, and Harvard's like, oh shit. Yeah, maybe we should fire her, maybe she should step down. But, but again, right, that's that's kind of, look, the the, the message that's being sent, right? If you have a voice that's different or opposes the one that is the dominant voice, and they'll always bring up um, uh, the Holocaust or genocide, or, you know, it always becomes the ultimate talking point, right? And that you have to deny these things. And if you don't deny them in total, you will lose your job. Right, you will you will lose your position, and that's exactly what happened to her. So then you have conservatives who look at that and they say, "Well, gee, look at that they got rid they got rid of a fucking you know woke ass bitch, you know who uh, who runs Harvard." Good. This is the way it's done, right? In their mind, that's the way it's done. So it reinforces their model. It reinforces this neoconservative model. But the only time it's neoconservative and it works is if it's in the interest of Israel or, you know, to a lesser extent, Jewish people, right? Because then it works. But if you said the same thing about Christians or you said the same things about so-called Caucasian people, it's not going to work because there are two standards that are being that people and groups are being judged by. There's more than two. There's many standards, right? But you can't use that same litmus and get the same results. It's not going to happen. One group is a protected class and the other is open season. I'm sorry. That's just the, the when you look at it from that perspective, that's the way it is. They could say that they want to slaughter as Many white people, so-called white people, as possible. That the that the Caucasian race is a scourge 
and it needs to be removed. And they would suffer very little in terms of uh, loss of money or donors or donation. It would be maybe a blip on the radar, if that at all, right? And so what happens there is that that is encouraged, right? That kind of mindset is encouraged. That kind of deeply toxic social invective is supported. But oh no, you have a different kind of discussion with a different group and there is an extreme price to pay for that. And she paid the price of her job. Very rare, very, very rare. And not, you know, not many people are talking about it at that level, right? It's just not like, I, you know, Tucker's not talking about it. Certainly Ben Shapiro's not going to talk about it. He's going to say that they were within their right. He's glad that she's gone. But all the other stuff that goes along with it, all the other, uh, op you know, open season, forget about it. You know, go take your case somewhere else, right? Don't think that, even though it's not being talked about, don't think that people aren't noticing because they are noticing, right? That was a big power move, huge power move. And um, very, very illuminating to say the least. What do you say, Jasper? You know, and then it gets into this whole idea of what people, you know, what people can say. And all you got to do is throw in a few bad apples, some agent provocateurs, you know, spout some sacrilegious uh, uh, rhetoric, right? Some sacrilegious chants, get the attention of people who feel offended, aggrieved, threatened, right? That's all you got to do. Speaking of which, Ray Apps, we're going to change the subject here a little bit. Ray Apps is getting six months in prison. Okay, just keep this in mind. This is a guy who was caught on video multiple times telling people, we got to go in there. We got to go in there, right? Like, like, how many times have you seen those videos? He is essentially a ringleader, right? Like, that's what he's doing. He's getting people riled up and fired up and, and causing them to, you know, threaten the safety and the security of the people that are, you know, supposedly in the, in the Capitol building, in the rotunda. You get somebody just walks in, walks around, take some pictures. Well, they're in prison for, what, three years, four years? Five years, but these really, you know, extended and you know, egregiously unfair sentences. And this guy gets six months, right? And where's his six months going to be? Is, I, I doubt it's going to be the same location where the other J6ers are, which from what I understand, are, are not pretty, right? And then three months in, you know, Ray Epps will be released because of, 
I don't know, time spent waiting around to be sentenced or who the fuck knows, right? So one of the guys who appears to be the, 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 the most vile and dangerous threat to democracy gets one of the lightest sentences. That doesn't, that doesn't surprise you, does it? All right, there are a couple other things I wanted to cover today before we get out of here. Oh, okay. Yeah, two explosions hit areas close to the cemetery where Soleimani is buried. Hunter dead. Hundred dead. Over hundred injured. Th those are acts of war. Those are acts of war. Open acts of war. Have you guys seen this? This is an interesting story that's breaking. This is from um, the movie Leave the World Behind. Have you guys seen this? Apparently they're playing with ELFs in this movie. So this is um, from Twitter. I wanted to show you guys. Uh, Wall Street Apes. Barack Obama's new movie, Leave the World Behind, when downloaded and put to an editing program, has four audio files instead of the standard one. One of the audio files is just a frequency, low-frequency infrasound. Other movies do not have this. This guy has done thousands of movies and never seen this. When you open this movie, right here is Jurassic Park, for instance. Okay? Question mark. I'm just showing this to people who have never seen this. For the last 15 years, I've been using Sony Vegas and other editing software and have gone through downloading movies and using them in our own video production. 100% of the time, it's either an MKV or a MP. For occasionally, you'll download a torrent that's an AVR, but not very often. And this is what it will always look like. One video file right here, one audio file right here. Always. That's been my experience. Now let me show you what happened when we downloaded and put on and put the and, and put Sony, put the uh, movie Leave the World Behind onto Sony Vegas. Here you go. Stunning, stunning. One video file, four audio files opened up. And this one, the fourth audio file, seems to be the weapon. This is a low EX UH ELF, a low frequency infrasound, infrasonic wave right here. And um, so we are going to let me put the camera back on again. So this is big news. Just so people realize in 15 years of video editing, I have never downloaded, now speaking specifically, a movie file, okay? A Hollywood movie from Torrent downloading it, either MKV, MP4, occasionally AVI, 100% of the time, over thousands of movies I've done this with, you have a video file, audio file, period. This is the first time I've ever seen anything like this. 
with the four files. Bonnie's going to go into talking, uh, now talking about the infrasonic sound waves and what we found out about that and the fact that there's one here. We're, we're in the point where is going back, going to go back, and Bonnie gives you some information about what it is we're dealing with, how this is a weapon. Then we're going to go back uh, towards the end of the live stream here. One video file. This is a two minutes, 27 seconds. Um, and I'm going to hit specific places where this weapon was used against anybody who watches it. I've never watched the movie. I don't want to watch the movie. I felt like that there was something inherently dark and odd about the movie. Right? So my instincts seem to be on the surface pretty good. Let's watch this and let's hear what they have to say. When you open this, this movie right here is Jurassic Park, for instance. Okay, I'm just showing this to people who have never seen this. For the last 15 years that I have been using Sony Vegas and other editing software and have gone through downloading movies and using them in our own video production, 100% of the time, it's either an MKV or an MP4. Occasionally, you'll download a torrent that's an AVI, not very often. And this is what it will always look like. One video file right here, one audio file right here, always. That's been my experience. Now, let me show you what happened when we downloaded and put uh, Sony, put the uh, movie Leave the World Behind onto Sony Vegas. Here you go. Stunning. Stunning. One video file, four audio files opened up. And this one, this fourth audio file, seems to be the weapon. This is a low, uh, ELF, a low-frequency low infrasonic uh, wave right here. And um, so we are going to – let me put the camera back on again. So this is big news, just just so people realize. In in 15 years of video editing, I have never downloaded. And I'm speaking specifically a movie file, okay, a Hollywood movie from a torrent, downloading it in either MKV, MP4, occasionally AVI. 100% of the time, over a thousand movies I've done this with, you have video file, audio file, period. This is the very first time I've ever seen anything like this with the four files. Bonnie's going to go into now talking about the the infrasonic sound waves and what we found out about that and the fact that there's one here. We're, and the point is we're going to go back after Bonnie gives you some information about what, what it is we're dealing with, how this is a weapon. Then we're going to go back. Uh, towards the end of the live stream here, and I'm going to hit specific places where this weapon was used against anybody who watches it, okay? So All right. We, I guess we didn't get to see Bonnie, unfortunately. Um, is there more Bonnie? I want to see the Bonnie stuff. Bonnie looks like she just stepped out of the Lord of the Rings, don't you? Where is there a link to this? Just showing this to people who have never seen this. For the okay, so this is interesting, right? Readers added context to this video. 5.1 surround sound. 
contains LFE track, low frequency effects, the LFE channel, low frequency subwoofer, uh, one part of 5.1 channel surround, not a weapon. Maybe it depends on the frequency, right? It depends on the frequency. Not all frequencies are created equally. Just saying. And if that's true, we'll say it's true, then why over the last 15 years where they have been doing this exact exercise, has this not shown up before? Just asking a question, that's all. Not, not making an accusation, but using their logic, right? First of all, again, not every frequency is the same. Secondly, why hasn't it popped before? I think those are fair questions to ask. In any event, um, if you really wanted to get to people, you know, sound is a really powerful tool. And those ELFs, man, they'll, they can affect you and really alter your mood and your thoughts. And you're not even aware of them, right? Um, silent weapons for quiet wars. Anyway, they're going to get out of here. We are going to get, in spite of the fact that it looks like, you know, they're continuing to stoke the fires uh, in the Middle East. Uh, and there is ample amounts of mind control available at every turn in our entertainment. Life is still good, right? I may paint a dark picture every now and then, but life is still good. But you just said we have to know what's going on. You know, this is part of the exercise. If you don't know what's going on, who knows? Maybe maybe that's the most blissful place to be. Maybe if you don't know what's going on, you can just create your own reality. I'm not wired that way. Uh, and so by understanding it, then it has, in my estimation, less power over me. Right? That I don't feel like I'm at the effect of things that are happening in a way where I'm just kind of going along with the program. Right? And I think that the other part of the equation is if you don't go along with the program, then you got to replace the program. And that's why I brought up uh, Catherine's Etsy store today in, in uh, Astro Weather, right? She's got a new program. Doesn't mean that she's not aware of what's going on here. And I, I really encourage everybody to have a creative outlet uh, to make things, um, to, you know, find meaning, to grow, right? And even to have commerce and trade and make some money while we still can, right? So don't give up the ship. You know, we're going to weather the storm. We're going to weather the storm and we'll get through it. Uh, in the meantime, you know, live your life and live your best life. All right, I'll be back tomorrow. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Uh, check you out on Astro Weather. We got Russ on Friday, so we get to talk more about what's going on in the Middle East. Russ is always incredibly informative. And for all you members, don't forget the uh, the webinar for 2024. 
uh, over on Zoom on Saturday, right? All right, use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to stay open to what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Bye for now.